if you will, please. Turn to page. Oh, yes, thank you. If you will, please turn in your pew Bibles to page 1645, 1645. We'll be looking at 1 John chapter 1. Starting at verse 5 and going to chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John chapter 5, sorry, chapter 1, starting at verse 5, going to chapter 2, verse 2. That is on page 1645 of your Pew Bibles. Let us now turn our attention to God's Word. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. The last time we looked in John, 1 John here together, we talked about how the Gnostics had come into this particular body, and John here was ministering to them and leading them back to the truth. In our last four verses that we looked at here, these opening verses, we saw that he was starting to deal with uh, some of their doctrines, and a particular one called docetism, where it seemed like Christ was possibly just a man, uh, a, like a see-through man, a man that's not really there. It just seemed like he was flesh. But yet, John is saying that he was really there, and he was with him. And it wasn't just him, it was others too. And we talked about how important that is for our faith, because it's... Our faith is not built on one man's, one, one man's eyewitness. It's built on many eyewitnesses. We've had many that saw these acts of Christ and put them in Scripture or were there to, at these events with Scripture. As you see here, John continues that it is we. We, the first person plural, that it's not just he that witnessed these things, that he saw Christ do, that he touched Christ, that he 
laid his hands on Christ, but now he's saying that he also heard Christ with others. We. So, as we look at verses uh, one through one five through two two, let us see that as we start to look at uh, the topic of fellowship here under our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that there are six understandings that He wants us to have as we uh, look at gospel fellowship and the light. Now, the first understanding that He wants us to uh, work with here is the authenticity of the proclamation. We just discussed that it is He and others who have uh, been part of this and witnessed it, but it's right straight away, He's not saying that what He's saying are His words. He's not saying that the things that he's been teaching as he's been going out and planting these churches and this one here are his words. He's saying that these words belong to the one who they touched, the one who they witnessed, the one who uh, was there. And that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Look look uh, Look at what he says here. He says that the message that they have heard and this is here, right here in verse 5, is that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So as from the beginning of their, their ministry, they have God's, Jesus' words in mind, that God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. Now this is important to John to keep this in straight. Why would he force on... Uh, in his teaching, that he it's not his words, it's somebody else's words. That these are not just words that he's made up, that these actually come from he who he's been saying that we must worship. Right here, if we go back and think into his gospel, yes, the same John that wrote the gospel is the same John that wrote these letters. He said, quoting Jesus, that Jesus' words were that we must worship in spirit and truth. John is setting the stage, if you will, that the church not only must understand who the true Christ was, but that we must know His words so that we understand gospel truth. And that's why whenever a pastor or anybody else comes and teaches, that they turn to this. So they make sure that it's not their words, but words of God, the words of Christ. And that's why when you see the pastor and I read the Scriptures beforehand, that we turn it off. We say, pay attention to God's words. We've read God's words. We owe His Word that high authority, that high elevation above the words of man. John also brought this up because somehow he's fighting these Gnostics with some teaching that would say that uh, perhaps that God is not light, or God is not holy, or perhaps they were teaching another light. One of the things that the Gnostics taught was that uh, matter is evil, it's dirty, that it's, it's, it's not good, and you can't have anything to do with it. And they carried off into other theologies, and they said there's no way that a good, holy God would ever have this matter. Going back to verses 1 through 4, that God would not take on a body because it would be evil matter. But John is not only saying that, 
He did take on this body. By the way, that means that matter itself is not evil, right? When God created the world, He said everything is good, right? But He's now saying that it's not just that Christ did take on this body, but that He spoke. And that His teaching is different from what the Gnostics have been teaching. And so as we begin to look in deeper into our passage here, let's first define what Jesus means when He's talking about light and darkness. What does John mean when he's quoting what the message is here? First of all, light is sometimes thought of as a special knowledge. You'll hear people say, oh, you've got to have the light in order to understand these things. Right? And if you don't understand these things, then you're in darkness. Sometimes people say that the light is how far up in the organization you get. You're down here, you're, in, you're still in kind of the darkness of the world, but as you go up and up and up, you get more into the light by your rank. But that's not what the Lord is talking about here. What John is saying that the Lord is saying is that light is righteousness. It is sinlessness. Therefore, when he says that there is no darkness in him at all, there is no sin in him at all. God is sinless. God is righteous. There is no darkness in him at all. And now why is this important? Why is John setting this stage? Think of it this way. If you were wanting to give someone that you love and care about very much directions to a place... And I think the fact I know we have GPS and all this these days and we can plug it in and we got this little computer voice that comes over and tells us. But but for some of us who are old enough, we remember that we give directions just like I'm speaking to you now, right? And because you care about them things, you would not say you would not lead them astray. You wouldn't send them on the long way. You'd send them on the safest way that you knew how that you knew. You'd send them on the most direct way that you knew, and you would give them all the landmarkers that they would need in order for them to arrive at that destination. And that's exactly what John is doing here when he's ministering to this church. He's setting up that he was there, he put hands on our Lord and Savior, and he heard what he said. And he's going to combat the false teachings in the church starting right here. Not just the false teachings about who Jesus is as a person, but what he said about himself. So as a Christian, when you read the Scriptures, this should give you hope. Because you know, as you are reading John and the others who have uh, written down the Word of God, whether even we go back into Moses and Jeremiah, Luke, all these things are witness accounts of the Lord and Savior or His work. And so, that as you read these things, that you know that you have truth. And so therefore, since we have the truth, the church can now go forward and combat any message that is not in agreement with the Word of God. Now John tells us the words of Christ here because he is facing 
the challenge of fellowship in the church. Now, this is the next understanding that we're that there are challenges for us coming to fellowship at some times. Notice that fellowship is mentioned twice in our passage here today. And as John is pulling this in, we see that he's taking this uh, pastoral challenge on and he's realizing that there is not a cohesion here. And Pastor Frank can tell you that sometimes we deal with these things. It's not always doctrinal errors. Sometimes it's personality issues. There's times that these uh, there's just problems that come about. And so we see right here that John, in the first century, is dealing with such an issue that there's teaching going on that is starting to divide the church. And he's going to start setting the record straight here. Now, think of this as we look at this too, that here John, dealing with these fallen human beings, he's starting to separate that teaching of the Gnostics and bringing forward the teaching of Christ. And he's starting to work this, uh, work this out and apply it to his situation. And now some of you saw this here recently uh, in COVID, right? When the, when the plague hit, a lot of the churches started having discussions about, well, what does it mean that we meet in person now? What is it, you know, is Zoom a valid form of meeting as a church and worshiping together while not maybe spreading this virus to other people? Or is it that we should just ignore the virus and meet in person and trust the Lord do the work? And there were discussions about these things. And so as the church was... Discussed as the, the elders of the churches were discussing fellowship, we kept turning back to the Word of God. We kept going back and saying, hey, how do we apply what we have here to this? And so you would have discussions like, okay, if we meet in person, but we know that it might kill them, are we breaking the Sixth Commandment? Or are we not to worry about that and meet? All those things were happening there. And the reason that that is... The reason why it was such a discussion is because we understand that it's important for a church to keep together. And that's why John is going to battle here. He knows that if he doesn't start to deal with these things, that the church is going to continue in the split. And he's wanting to uh, deal with it right there in front of him. He said, look, and this is how we need to understand that John is moving from here and out with a situation. John is demonstrating that it's not only important to try and keep a church together. It's not only important to, uh, to deal with it as this split comes up, but he is not willing to do it at the sacrifice of doctrinal truth. That's why he's come in and this division is going on. He's saying, stop, put on the brakes. Right here, right now, Jesus really was a man. I touched him. He was fully God and fully man. I saw the things he did and I touched him. And I've heard the words out of his mouth. And here it comes. And if they can't deal with that, it's right here. I heard it. I saw it. And see, if a church starts to give on doctrinal truth and it sacrifices truth to keep a church cohesive, to keep it together, to keep everybody wanting to come on Sunday no longer a church anyway. Right? A false message is a false worship. So here, 
John is establishing truth. So the Scriptures, the Word of God, defines the very aspect of life as we fellowship together. And, the, and how John is using it to give us the condition of fellowship. So we know now that we can't slip on anything. That doctrine is extremely important. And so what John does here is he gives us the conditions of fellowship. He wants us to understand this. Look at verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we are to truly fellowship with God, we must walk in His light. Now remember, we established the meaning of light earlier. It's righteousness. So, do we walk in God's righteousness? Do we walk in the righteousness of Christ? Let's continue to uh, peel this open here. Notice though, that when we start to think about the Scriptures and God working with the church, He's always called us to follow Him in the light, to fellowship with Him in the light. If we go back to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, we see Isaiah calling out to the church. He says, O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is nothing new. John is going back into the teachings of the church from all time that has been set up with truth doctrine and is calling the church away from darkness and into the light to fellowship with the God. When Israel was being led out of Egypt, before then, as Pastor talked about, we saw God use darkness to to uh, punish to to, uh, to punish Egypt, but when Israel was falling with God out of Egypt, He appeared to them as a pillar of light. Israel, the church, followed the light of God through the night. That's Exodus 13.21. And so what we're being called here to today is this church, just like the church in the first century, just like the church in the day of Moses, is being called to follow God and His light. His righteousness. We see that being obedient to His Word is what shines a light in the path of fellowship. Now, some of you may say to us, now TJ, um, you're talking about following God as a pillar of light and those things, but God doesn't do that anymore. We, we don't see God following a church uh, as a pillar of light out through a desert or through the streets or from Zoom meetings back into the building. We just don't see that anymore. Well, He does tell us how to follow Him in the light. If you look at Psalm 119, verse 105, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read it to you. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We are still being called to follow the light of God. Now, we don't see it as the, the uh, pillar of light any longer but it's still here before us. We are being called to doctrinal truth, to understanding God and His righteousness, and follow Him in the light of His Word. His Word. As John was pointing out back in verse 5, the the Word that He's heard. So the condition that the church must follow God in is a condition of righteousness. 
We must be living holy lives that we may believe in the way uh, He calls us to and thus we must practice those beliefs. Later in this book, in chapter 3, verse 7, John tells us, He who practices righteousness is righteousness, just as He is righteous. And to continue on this theme, we see Peter say the same thing. In his uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he puts it this way, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Peter's going back and quoting Leviticus 11.44 here. Being righteous, walking in God's light, has always been the way of the church. Nothing has changed. And when a person comes in and starts to divide the church, teach false doctrines, speak of a different Christ, darkness starts to ensue. But now we have another problem. John shines a light on our spiritual condition and how it affects our fellowship with God. Look at verse 8. It says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And when you pair that with verse 10, it says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him, that is God, a liar, and His Word is not in us. Now, I bet you thought that when you've heard Pastor Frank and I say these things, that you just thought we were being grumpy, old, Calvinist, Presbyterian elders. No, we're quoting Scripture here. We're, we're guiding you in what the Bible tells us is going on with us in our lives and how we must deal with it. That should give you two things. One, it should give you relief that the pastor and I have been telling you scriptural truth. But two, it should scare you because it is scriptural truth and he's talking about us. So, we have this problem. Now look at verse 6. Go back up to verse 6. It says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, that is God, and walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. So what John is dealing with here, as he's ministering to this church and dealing with them in their uh, in their faith, he's pointing to them at their lifestyle. You see, there's two words here: practice and walk. Right, and in the first century, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about you know that this is the way you live. This is how you move. This is what you do from day to day. You walk up, this, you wake up, and this is automatically what you go into. So what John is doing here is he's calling to the church to correct fellowship. He's making them do a spiritual inventory. He's, what he's saying is that the Christian cannot live a double life. He's saying that you cannot have this, uh, this, the, you know, the, this God who is light and say that you want to fellowship with Him in light and be living in darkness. That means, gentlemen, we cannot be watching pornography. We cannot be looking at women as they walk down the street and think about exactly what we would like to do with them. We cannot be lying 
in order to have our way and our needs on anything. We cannot be stealing. Ladies, we cannot be gossiping. We cannot be talking ill of others just to gain our uh, gain uh, uh, ourselves a, a, a way of feeling good above others. We cannot be turning down in any way the opportunity to love our neighbor. And the list could go on and on and on and on. I have a question. If we look here in our section, we see that John presents us with six ifs. We see verse 6, if we say, verse 7, but if we walk, verse 8, if we say, verse 9, if we confess, verse 10, if we say, Four of those ifs put us in a catch-22. A spiritual rock in a hard place, if you will. To give you an example of a rock in a hard place, in 2009, actually 2008, my grandmother was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. And over the next year or so, I saw her health fail there in 2009. She started to go to the hospital more and more. And then there was the last time she was taken to the hospital. And I remember sitting there listening to the doctors talk to her. And they said to her, listen, your heart has become so weak with the failure that you're not able to pump fluids out of your body. You will need dialysis to help you with the fluids. However, if we put you on dialysis, it's going to tax your heart more, and that's going to kill you. If you don't do the dialysis, Mrs. Owsley, you're going to die. But if you do the dialysis, Mrs. Owsley, you're going to die. She is in a catch-22. And that's what John is doing with us here. He's saying that if you do not walk in the light of the Lord and you live a life of darkness, that you are in a spiritual catch-22. There is no double life. And what, and what John is presenting here is sometimes challenged. People say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You just read that Jesus has paid for my sins. And I don't have them anymore. See, but that's, that's not the whole story, is it? See, in this life, fighting sin is real. Let's, let's turn to Romans 7. And look at, that's going to be on page 1526 of your pew Bible. Romans 7. Look at verses 15 through 20 here. And this is Paul talking about himself dealing with sin. The Apostle Paul, the one who Jesus appeared to on the road to Damascus and used to write a great majority of the New Testament. This is Paul talking about his struggles. He says, For what I am doing, 
I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will do, I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. What Paul is saying here is that he's his will, he wants to do the will of the Lord. He has this true desire to be obedient to Christ, to walk in the light, if you will, to be righteous, yet he is still fighting sin. He says it right there. He's not giving into it either. Notice that he's acknowledging that it's not what he's supposed to do. What I will to do, I don't do. What I want to do, I practice something else. The struggle is real. Yes, the Lord has paid for our sins. There is no doubt about that. And John is not disagreeing with that here. Matter of fact, he'll go on to say it just a little bit. The same thing. And Paul is not saying that it's okay to sin. As a matter of fact, he's saying that this is a true struggle with him. He's truly fighting it. His attitude is not to accept it and live with it. His attitude is to deal with it. And when we walk in the light, we recognize this battle. That we are not righteous, it is He that is righteous. And we desire that righteousness, but yet, we don't have it in ourselves. A true rock in a hard place. And to add to that, if you look down at chapter 2, verse 1 in 1 John, John even tells you to fight sin, not do sin, is the very purpose of this letter. He says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But then we have two other ifs. If you look at verses 7, it says, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we look at verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, the Lord has sent someone to help us with this. And that's our understanding, our next understanding, that we have a helper into the fellowship. As we look at this, as Jesus here has cleansed our sins, as we look at He is, um, it's His righteousness that John is presenting to us. And we look 
at this section as a whole, we see that John is presenting Christ's priestly work. Notice that he says he's our advocate. Now, this is a word you're familiar with when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. He uses the same, the word that's used here is uh, to say that I'm sending a helper like me. Same word here, that Jesus is our advocate. He's a lawyer. He's our helper. No. Look, stand. Is that part of his priestly role? Turn back with me in the Romans, if you will, on page 1528. Look at Romans 8, 3, 8, 34. On page 1528 of your pew Bible. And this is Paul speaking again. He says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Do you hear that, brothers and sisters? That right now, that Christ as He's risen, He's now sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Right now, in His priestly role, He is our helper in this way. He didn't just die on the cross. He didn't just rise from the tomb three days later. He now sits and continues this work by interceding for you. As you struggle with sin, as you see that you're, the weakness of your flesh, as you see that you don't do what you want to do, as you see that you're not walking in the light the way you should be, He's interceding for us. He is the reminder to the Godhead that the work He did and how it is being applied to us. And notice that it also says He is our propitiation. Propitiation, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple things. One, it means to turn away wrath. So, God, so Jesus, in His priestly role, one of the parts of this is that He turned away God's wrath from us. That's right. When Jesus atoned and died for your sins and He shed, and the Father shed the wrath there on the Son on the cross and their agreement that this would happen and their agreement that the Son would pay the price for the sins on the cross, that it turned away the wrath of God from those who Jesus died for. It's also an atonement. Right? That He paid the price for us. Not to the devil. The devil's owed nothing. But to God. Because sin has a cost to it. He did that. And notice, too, as we go back up into uh, chapter 1 there, it says that we are cleansed, in, ver- in verse 7, that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So it's His sacrifice that counts to pay for our sins. So John is laying out that our help into fellowship is Christ and pointing directly at His priestly work for us. By the way, he saw all that too. Speaking of Christ's sacrifice, today we're observing the Lord's Supper. The pastor will pronounce it later. But it's one of the ways we remember his sacrifice for us. And it's the way that we fellowship together and fellowship with God. And when we think of this and we're dealing with our sins, it's 
a reminder of the cost that was paid for us. In Scotland, some many years ago, and I've told this story a few times, and if you've heard it, it's okay. It's a, it, it applies. There's a woman in a small town who had committed adultery on her husband. The whole town knew it. The elders had been ministering to her through this. The husband was gone. And she was coming to church faithfully still. And she had been following the ministry of the elders and working through this. And the day came where this church was observing communion. As the elders passed the elements around, they passed over her. And each time, as the bread and the wine had gone by her, her cries got louder. The pastor says that the whole church was quiet, holding their elements, and turned around looking at this woman. And the elders have stopped in their tracks and are looking at him. They don't know what to do. The pastor looks back because he's a good Presbyterian and does not make a move without their agreeing to this. And they look at her and they look at each other and they all give him a nod. See, they recognized that this woman had been dealing with the darkness that she had sinned, but now, perhaps, Psalm 51, 17, she is showing a broken and contrite heart as they looked at her faithfulness and coming to church, wanting to fellowship, wanting to come out of where she was and the sin that she had done, that she's sitting there brokenhearted. And the pastor recognizing that she needed to be brought back into fellowship with the church and to be encouraging the fellowship with God, took the elements to her and said, take ye and eat. This is for you. And that applies to us. Who of us can say since the last time we've partook of communion has not sinned? Who can us to say that who of us can say that we have not failed? Look at verse nine. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, now we have a new catch-22. We must turn to Christ in His light or stay in our sin. Now, look at verse chapter 2, verse 2. It says here, uh, And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the world. There's been a lot of debate over this verse. First of all, this verse is not teaching universalism. This is not saying that Christ died so that everyone in the world will be saved. It's not saying that His death applies to every single person who's ever lived, therefore everybody's saved. That's not what this is teaching. It could be teaching that certainly the power of His sin, yes, the, I mean the power of His uh, sacrifice, the power of the atonement, the power of His death, that uh, it is able to have saved everyone who's ever lived. But I think it's a little bit more than that. 
I think it's diverting us to Christ more centered. I think what it's saying is that Christ is not only the propitiation for the apostle sins in that church at any time, but He's the one that pays it for everyone. And there's nowhere else to turn to. Think of Acts 4.12 where it says, that, um, and I'll turn there quickly and read that to you. We read it earlier, right? Uh, it's, it says um, uh, that uh, nor is there any salvation in the other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's Christ alone that we're saved by. His sacrifice, His atonement, there's nowhere else for us to turn. And see, since Jesus is our helper, it is He is the one who cleanses us from sin, making us righteous in the sight of God. Our sins are forgiven. Then you must understand are being called to fellowship in the Son with His children, the church. You are being called out of darkness, of sin, into the gospel fellowship and His light. Christ was sent into this world acting in His priestly office. He sacrificed Himself for you and He now intercedes for you. He prays at the right hand of the Father for you. The Son continues to do the will of the Father by providing for you prayer and to lead you out of darkness and into the light of His fellowship. You are now being called out of darkness and into the household of God to fellowship in His light and the Son who died for the sins of His children. How do you know you're being invited? When you see that you are walking in darkness. That you are not walking in His light. That you have faith in Him and His death as the propitiation for your sins. And you know it's His blood alone that cleanses you. You know that when you confess your sins to Him, that He is faithful and just to forgive you. That's how you know that you're being invited into the light out of darkness. So let's close with this final thought. You have not been left in a spiritual catch-22 to remain in darkness. Though you struggle in your sin, you have been provided a helper. It is the light of Christ we must turn to. Confess your sins to Him and He's faithful and just to forgive you. Fellowship with Him and His light, with His people, who would not sacrifice His truth of His holiness for anything. Understand that Jesus is your helper and have true gospel in the fellowship and the light. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank You that Your Word is true. Your doctrines are true. That Your promises are true. That though we do walk in darkness, You are the light. And You've shown to us that You are the light. You've shown to us that You are faithful and You are just and that You do forgive sin. Lord, lead us out of sin. 
have us turn away from it. And Lord, when we fail, remember that we have a helper in you interceding for us. Have us confess our sins to you so we may continue in your light. We do ask for these things and we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.